Hillary Clinton has declared victory in her fight to win the Democratic nomination for unscrupulous president. In a speech made before a crowd of people hired to be her enthusiastic supporters, Mrs. Clinton said, quote, the nomination is mine. Mine, mine, mine. Mine, mine. All the power that I've dreamed of all these years is finally within my grasp. I can almost feel it in my fingers like a red-hot flame waiting to scorch the flesh of my enemies. Those enemies who've tried to thwart me all these years, let them tremble in terror now, knowing that the power to destroy them with but a single word will soon be mine, 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 unquote. As Mrs. Clinton's supporters screamed and trampled each other trying to get to the exits, the former Secretary of State's eyes glowed red and objects began to fly across the room and even burst into flame as the doors locked on their own, blocking any chance of escape. Mrs. Clinton then continued her speech in spite of coughing up a gout of blood that stained the front of her dress red, saying, quote, don't think for a moment I've forgotten even one of the people who tried to stand in my way, whether it was ordinary voters or reporters or that squirrely little black guy who stole from me my rightful place in the Oval Office eight years ago. I remember each and every one of them, and each and every one will pay with suffering you cannot even begin to imagine. Nothing can stop me now. Nothing, nothing. The nomination is mine. Mine, mine. Unquote. After the victory party, Mrs. Clinton stood in the smoldering rubble and told reporters she planned a quiet family celebration for later that evening, during which she would mate with an unsuspecting male and then devour him. Vermont, Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders vowed to carry on his campaign to smother the American economy under a discredited and oppressive philosophy. Sanders told his youthful, idealistic, enthusiastic, and almost entirely ignorant supporters, quote, it's only basic fairness for the government to be able to take away a person's money and give it to someone else. It's only basic fairness that the majority should be able to vote away the property rights of the minority. It's only basic fairness that the people who have control of the army should be able to pillage the earnings of the productive. Or maybe basic fairness isn't the phrase I'm looking for, but never mind that now, unquote. Donald Trump, meanwhile, won 77% of the Republican vote in California, or six votes. Speaking to a cheering crowd of white supremacists and anti-Semites, Mr. Trump said, quote, No, really, I've been treated very unfairly in the Trump University case, and I'm not saying it's just because the judge is a wetback. I have many, many wetback friends, believe me. And I don't mean just any beaners. These are the best beaners in the world, and they love me, folks. They love me, unquote. Mr. Trump went on to say that he was being attacked by losers and haters, and as far as he was concerned, all the losers and haters could get the hell out, whereupon his supporters went home, leaving him to continue his defense of Trump University in an empty room. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Clavin Show. <laughs> I, love, I, I love this election. It's like I don't even, I don't even have to make stuff up. I'm just, I'm just writing it down, folks, just transcribing what I see in front of me. So it's over, but it's, you know, Yogi Berra was wrong. It's, it ain't over even when it's over. Bernie Sanders is, is fighting on, so it goes on and on. And uh, the press is just, oh, we're going to talk about all this, but... I also have to say, it's mailbag day. More important, forget, forget about it. Forget about the election. It's mailbag day. You know and uh, if you subscribe now for 30 days for free and then $7.99 and we send you a penny, you send us eight bucks, we send you a penny in the mail every, every month. And uh, you get to be in the next mailbag. It's too late for this mailbag, but we'll be back again if they haven't destroyed the country before that. So, all right. So Hillary Clinton cleaned up. She really did well. She's, uh, she, she even did really well in California, where there was some hope among those of us who like to see her humiliated and crushed, even if she wins. 
uh, that she would be, uh, the, you know, that she would be tied or beaten in California, but she did really well. And the press, of course, has gone woman crazy, like, you know, it's, oh, the woman. Yesterday, it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing. The press was, you know, she hasn't given a press conference since I think it's 1987 was the last press conference. I mean, she has not talked to the press at all. And they're kind of nudging her politely about it. The New York Times had an editorial today where in the, like the fifth paragraph or something, they couldn't you please give a press conference? We, we know you're making history as a woman, but couldn't you please, you know, just please say, and we won't ask you anything hard, please. please. You know, so that's, and they get, they get her for eight minutes, eight minutes yesterday. And seriously, the questions they're asking her I'm so proud that I'm almost crying that you're away. You know, they, literally the questions. And then Bernie Sanders. You know, yesterday I played that thing of that woman calling out and she wouldn't shut up. And when she finally got his attention and she wouldn't stop, finally got his attention, she asked this incredibly stupid question about whether he's a sexist for running against a woman candidate for president. She was from the New York Times. I, you know, I thought, like, this has got to be some local goon who doesn't know what she's doing. <laughs> well, I was right. She's local, but she's local to Times Square. She's with the New York Times. What was her name? Yamish Alcindor or something like this. So what all this reminds me of is, you know, people say that our culture, our, our artistic culture now, is imitative and it's not doing anything new. And that's, that's entirely untrue. It just, it's moved to different places. Like, you know, this Game of Thrones has now reached a level of genius. I mean, all the, all the people, I, I wish I could talk about it, but I don't want to spoil anything, but all the religious people who were saying you, you shouldn't watch it, last week's Game of Thrones had more to say about religion than any 10 works I have seen. It was so brilliant on the subject of religion and so realistic and, and difficult and something you have to struggle with. There's lots and lots of brilliant stuff. Video games are really uh, in, intelligent. All this. But if we could have this thing called big culture, in the same way you have, like, you know, the Breitbart was always saying, you have you know, big pharma and then you have big business. And you have, if you could have big culture, big culture is empty. Big culture just continue. It's not right. It is not right that people of, of the ages of most of the people in, the, in this room should be going to movies about cartoon heroes who were invented in the 30s and 40s. I mean, you know, like in the 70s, we had Star Wars. You know, it was a new thing. You know, I mean, and yeah, it, it had a relationship to the old serials. It was a takeoff in the old serials, but it was actually a new thing. Now what they do is they make these things again, and then they put a black guy or a woman in them and say, oh, look, it's new. It's okay. Ghostbusters, but with a woman. Isn't that creative? You know, it's like, it's Mission Impossible, but, you know, the guys are black. You know, and it's all, this, is why, this is why they're fighting over James Bond. You know, give us a female James Bond. Give us a, you know, a, a gay James Bond. Whatever, there's, whatever crazy stuff they're saying. It's because they can't create anything. That, that, part of, that part of big culture, of shared culture, because it came from a time when our culture was shared, when we were all kind of unified in what we wanted in, in our viewpoint point. They can't make it anymore. They can't make something that big. So, so instead, they just put, that's what Hillary Clinton reminds me of. It's the same old crappy Democrat party, but with a woman. It's like Ghostbusters with a woman. It's, it's Tammany Hall, but it's a woman this time, so it's really different. You know, it's the same thing. We're going to spend all your money and go in deeper into debt, but it's going to be a woman. You know, it's like Barack Obama. Oh, it's, but he's, he's doing it. He's ruining the country, but he's black. You know, <laughs> that's what it's like. And it's like watching Star Wars, the same damn plot they did in the 70s, but it's a black guy and a girl, you know, so that's really, really creative and different. That is where the Democrat Party is. And Hillary played it to the hilt. In her victory speech, she immediately went to the woman thing. We've reached a milestone. The first time, the 
first time in our nation's history that a woman will be a major party's nominee. It's not about one person. It belongs to generations of women and men who struggled and sacrificed and made this moment possible. In our country, it started right here in New York, a place called Seneca Falls in 1848. When a small but determined group of women and men came together with the idea that women deserved equal rights, and they set it forth in something called the Declaration of Sentiments, and it was the first time in human history that that kind of declaration occurred. So we all owe so much to those who came before, and tonight belongs to all of you. Here's my advice, okay? If you're not married and you want to get married, get married now. Find a nice boy, find a nice girl, and get married now. And I'll tell you why. Because remember when Barack Obama was elected, it was going to be the end of racial strife? Remember how it was going to be, you know, the post-racial age? We had lifted above this. And instead, here we are at each other's throats for no reason, for no real reason, because there is no institutional racism in this country anymore. So it's like just, this is just ginning up you know, an idea of injustice, an idea that people are being treated unfairly. If Hillary is elected, women and men are going to be fighting in the streets like hand to hand. <laughs> it's going to be the hatred. Once they start in, like, you can't say that. She's a woman. You can't criticize her, her mistake. She's a woman. Once they start that, it's like you are going to be ripping your girlfriend's head off. So marry her now because you're going to be so ticked off at her eight years or four years from now that you're not even going to, she's not even going to be able to talk to you anymore. So marry, get married now. All right. So then she goes after Trump. Let's hear her on, on the Donald. Donald Trump is temperamentally unfit to be president and commander. Not just trying to build a wall between America and Mexico, he's trying to wall off Americans from each other. When he says, let's make America great again, that is code for, let's take America backwards. to a time when opportunity and dignity were reserved for some, not all. Promising his supporters an economy he cannot recreate. It's clear that Donald Trump doesn't believe we are stronger together. He has abused his primary opponents and their families, attacked the press for asking tough questions, denigrated Muslims and immigrants. He wants to win by stoking fear and rubbing salt in wounds and reminding us daily just how great he is. You know, I think, uh, not to defend Donald Trump, but it is unfair of accusing him of speaking in code. Because the one, thing, the one thing Trump isn't doing is speak. If, if Donald Trump wanted to take America backwards, what he would say is, "Let's take America." He'd wear a big red hat that said, "Take America backwards." It's, you know, it's like it's not like the guy has a break on his mouth. So the, the funny thing is, is she's Hillary Clinton is running on hope and not change. Basically, she's, she's let's not change anything. Everything is everybody is so angry that 
huge number uh, numbers of her party voted for you know Doc Brown from Back to the Future, who wants to take them to socialism, which we know is failed everywhere. It's even failed in the places he would talk about. You know, in Norway and places like that, it's all gone south. It's just ruined everything. It's made people slaves. And in a country like this, that needs a that's so deeply in debt that it needs an incredible, insanely dynamic economy just to pay the interest on our loans, you know, it's it, but they went after him because they hate her, they hate what's happening, they hate this country, and, you know, the Donald and, and Sanders are just a, a, a symbol of that, and, and she's saying basically, you know, don't, let's not change anything, you know, go with me, I'm the, I'm the safe choice. So Trump hits back, we, what is this, Trump number one on Hillary? The Clintons have turned the politics of personal enrichment into an art form for themselves. They've made hundreds of millions of dollars selling access, selling favors, selling government contracts, and I mean hundreds of millions of dollars. Secretary Clinton even did all of the work on a totally illegal private server. Something that how she's getting away with this, folks, nobody understands. Designed to keep her corrupt dealings out of the public record, putting the security of the entire country at risk, and a president in a corrupt system is totally protecting her. Not right. Hillary Clinton turned the State Department into her private hedge fund. The Russians, the Saudis, the Chinese, all gave money to Bill and Hillary and got favorable treatment in return. It's a sad day in America when foreign governments with deep pockets have more influence in our own country than our great citizens. You know, the country's screwed, but it is going to be fun. I mean, it's going to be fun to watch these guys rip each other's heads off. And, you know, they're both right. I mean, that's the wonderful thing. You know, he doesn't have the temperament to be president, and she's a crook. You know, so it's like, this is going to be, it's terrific. We we have nominated the two worst people in America. How could we, I mean, where would we have gone? You know, Little Italy, there's that old club where I used to see, I used to work down there. I used to see John Gotti, the mob boss. That's the only place we could have gone to get somebody worse, you know. It's like, you over there, you kill, you know, you while you're turn, tearing the head off parking meters, you know. Could you come over and be president? We got these guys. So that was Trump, by the way, being the new man. That was, you know, Trump has been accused of not moving into the second act. After all, you know, think about it for a minute. The guy got 40% of the Republican, of the people who turn out for Republican primaries. So very, very committed Republican voters, or whatever they were, you know, turned out, and he got 40% of them. And it was definitely a triumph over, you know, 17, 16 other people, whatever it was. But but that's now he's got to get the whole country. And now the whole country is paying attention and now they're watching him. And so this is the Donald reading off the teleprompter and being sophisticated and promising you that he's not going to mess up. I mean, this is the, uh, the Trump number two here. He's, he's going to tell you he's going to do this right. I understand the responsibility of carrying the mantle, and I will never, ever let you down. Too much work, too many people, blood, sweat, and tears. Never going to let you down. I will make you proud of your party and our movement. And that's what it is, is a movement.
You know, it's funny. I was watching uh, Fox a little bit last night, and they had a, one of those meaningless focus groups. And basically, the people don't like this this Trump. They want the Trump to blow things up, who blows stuff up. That's what they that's what they hired him for. They didn't hire him to be this responsible guy. The problem is, the problem is, is like people. You know. <laughs> Everybody attacks politicians for what they do, but politicians are good at one thing. They're good at being politicians. You know, professional writers are good at being professional writers. Dancers are usually pretty good at being dancers. You know, you don't get to, to work in, in the dancing business if you can't dance. Politicians are generally good at being politicians, and there's a reason they do things the way they do them, even if it's frustrating. Trump has changed that. He has rewritten the rule book, but at some point, at some point, he's going to have to find some way to communicate to more people, to people who, you know, who don't think it's a good idea to call a judge, to call out a judge on being Mexican when he was born in Indiana, which actually, I don't know how to break this to Trump, but that actually makes you a Hoosier, not a Mexican, you know? This is, this is not, this is not, you know, England where you go, you live there for t 10 generations, but you came from Italy, so you're an Italian. This is America, where two minutes off after you're off the boat, you're an American. Welcome home, you know? That's the way it works here, and he's going to have to sign on to that. And, it, you know, the, the, the sight of guys like Paul Ryan and everybody running for cover was really embarrassing. You know, it's, it, it's like it's it's conservatives were attacking them and saying, well, you know, you signed on and now you're stuck with this. And the Wall Street Journal is upset, is upset that people were yelling at Paul Ryan for running for cover, not for running for cover, but first endorsing Trump and then running for cover, first saying he would vote for Trump and then running for cover. So the Wall Street Journal writes an editorial today, goes like this. The impulse of some conservatives for self-destruction this year seems to have no limits. Many of the same people who paved the way for Donald Trump are now trying to excommunicate from polite conservative company the men in the best position to minimize the presumptive GOP presidential nominee's damage. That's the only way to read the conservative journalists who are joining Democrats in denouncing House Speaker Paul Ryan and Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell for saying they would vote for Mr. Trump albeit without embracing his rhetoric or all of his agenda. This has offended various Beltway grandees who are lecturing the two leaders that they have besmirched their good name and for all time. We can understand why the left takes this line, but why is the right doing it, basically? Well, the, you know, he says the question is why would conservatives pl play along? It's a simple question. It's a simple question. It's not strategy. It's, it's about they, politics is a big-picture game. Politics is a big-picture game. You know, you see these things... You can't. This is why conservatives have such a hard time. The Democrats come out and say, "We're going to give you stuff." You know, that's big picture. Conservatives come out with a chart and say, "Well, you know, if you're free, you know, the risks are bad, worse, and you might be out of work." But over time, you know, if they watch this graph here, you know, and it's like we're out in the alley. You know, it's like don't let the door hit you on the way out. When you endorse Donald Trump, you get the whole thing. And when he starts in on Mexicans and women can't be judges and Muslims can't be judges, you know. You get all of that, and that's the electorate. You know, you can't go and and it's also ugly. It's he's wrong. He's wrong to say it. You know, it, it now turns out I didn't realize this that he had made a mistake with this judge. This is this Curiel in the uh, in the Trump University case. He had made a mistake that this judge belonged to a legal organization with the name La Raza, and he thought that that was the racist uh, Mexican organization La Raza, and he just got it wrong. But when you watch people tying, I've been watching Bill O'Reilly tying himself in knots to you know justify these comments, and it reminds me of the Lao Coon. Do you know the Lao Coon? It's the famous. Uh, I have a picture of it. You can, if they put it in there, you can 
put it up. It's it's the famous uh, statue of the Trojan priest. Uh, it's in the Vatican, and his sons being killed by these tangled up by the snake. This is the priest who said, "Beware of Greeks bearing gifts." When the Greeks brought the Trojan horse, and the gods sent these snakes to kill him and his kid. Kids and this tangle that they're getting themselves in, you know, it's not, you're not going to be able to get out of it, and that's why we're picking on them. We're not picking on Paul Ryan for for saying he'd vote for Trump and then trying to duck the racism because we don't like him or because or certainly I I like him, but he has gotten himself in this situation, and this is what uh, Trump comes along with, and we might as well acknowledge that it is because we're going to have to somehow sell, you know, sell keep the keep hold of the House of Representatives and the Senate while this guy basically gives us a bad name. All right, we're going to come back on this. We're going to do the mailbag, because I always, I never leave enough time for the mailbag. So let's see. The mailbag, here's, I'm not sure if this is Pinchos or Pinchos, like maybe it's a Jewish name, like Pinchos or something like that. Um, he says, hey, Andrew, love your show. Contrary to popular belief, I think you laughing at your own jokes is hysterical. <laughs> My question. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad to hear that. There's somebody out there. because I get, I get so much grief over this. All right. My question is, aside from your own, what modern day novels would you recommend? And the answer is not that many. I mean, there's only a few. I'm not going to go into too many of them because I want to save them for stuff I like. But the only author I actually actually will go to the bookstore waiting for her new book is Donna Tartt right now. Before that, it was Patrick O'Brien. And if you haven't read the sea stories of Patrick O'Brien, you got to read them. They are, they, are some, they are works of art. He died, I don't know, about 10 years ago, something like that. But Donna Tartt wrote The Secret History. So read The Secret History. That's her first novel. Her latest novel won the Pulitzer Prize. But that first novel is really readable and good. She's a terrific novelist, really talented, really. She's, I don't think she's done anything quite great yet, but that's a high bar, and she's really terrific. All right. From Mike, Professor Clavin. I got I got a degree. This is great. <laughs> please, could you please weigh in about the Brock Turner case that has been flooding the airwaves? This is the case of that former Stanford athlete who uh, had sex with a woman who had passed out, and he was convicted of three felony counts, and the judge gave him this very, very light sentence of six months saying he didn't want to ruin his life. Good question. All right, I will. I will tell. And and so everybody's taken a different thing. Brock, the guy who did the who had sex with the girl, he says this is a, it's a problem of the culture of drinking and promiscuity on campus. The woman says, "Hey, you know, you raped me. You ruined my life." And of course, the press is on all this rape culture. Not you know, they're just babbling nonsense. Here's here's my take on this. You have sex with an unconscious woman. That, that's rape. Okay. I can understand, that's, it's rape, I mean, that's what it is. And I can understand a judge saying, well, he's a young guy, he's never done anything wrong before, I'm gonna give him a light sentence. A light sentence for rape is three years. I think he got six months and three years probation. In California, I think he gets, it's three, five, and eight years. You know, if he had said, you're going away for three years, that's a horrible, horrible thing to happen to a kid like that, you know, and I, and I think that would have been pun punishment. It still would have been too damn light, <laughs> but, but, you know, I would have understood that. Giving him six months is a travesty. That's ridiculous. He raped that girl. Now, is there anything else to say about that? Of course there is. Of course there is. You know, I had a friend a long time ago who went into a subway in the worst time in New York crime, went into a subway at like 1 o'clock in the morning, and he got mugged. Was it his fault he got mugged? Of course not. It's the mugger's fault they got mugged. If they get arrested, they should go away for, for mugging him. Was he being wise? to go down into a subway in a high crime area at one o'clock in the morning? No, he wasn't. It's not his fault, but he wasn't being wise. This, this 
culture of, prom of drinking and promiscuity on campus is guaranteed to leave women in the lurch, and it is the fault of feminism. You know, I, I attack feminism all the time, but it's not because I don't want women to do whatever they want. <clears throat> I want women to do whatever, they, each woman to do whatever makes her happy. That's what I want. You know, that's, that's, that's the whole thing. What I hate about feminism is that it, it's a lie. It tells you that women and men want the same thing in general. In general, they do not. And I think that women who drink like that and have promiscuous sex and then wake up and feel like crap, you know, this this didn't happen to this woman. She just passed out. But it, it's just going to cause that situation to happen again and again. I think feminism needs to be crushed. And I think it needs to be crushed without hurting women's rights and women's freedoms, which I'm all for. But those two things are at odds. Feminism elevates men's values. You know, I always think of that Rosie the Riveter making a muscle. Any That's a, that's a woman doing something that any man can do better. You know, <laughs> let's let you know. You know what I mean. So it's like it's like they elevate men's values and tell women that they have to live up to that. And one of men's values is, oh, I really scored last night. And women, you know, that makes most women. Obviously, there are exceptions, but it makes most women really unhappy. So the individual story is: this guy committed rape. He should have been slammed for it. He should have gotten, you know, the the book thrown at him. That has nothing to do with the fact that the culture is really screwed up and it's feminism's fault. Uh, from Brian. Okay, what happened to the cardboard sign? Where is the cardboard sign? I don't know the answer to this question. Oh, he's it's hanging over J.A., you know? <laughs> the, producer, my, the producer stole my cardboard sign. That just shows you the level of respect that I get around here. From Ricardo, why, why do you think video... I love the cardboard sign, too. But put back my cardboard sign. You know? All right, why do you think video games were better at resisting a cultural takeover by the left when compared to Hollywood and comics? Also, Uncharted 4 is fantastic. Let me tell you, I spent so much time... Oh, the lovely Lindsay is going to put back. So not only do you get to see the cardboard sign, you get to see the lovely Lindsay, which, by the way, many people have written in and want to see. <laughs> now, see, now nobody's paying attention to me anymore, Lindsay. Well, that's fascinating. <laughs> there you go. There it is. All right. <laughs> See, was I lying? No. Now, now that's, that's all I'm going to get, Lindsay. All I'm going to get are letters. Could she do that again, please? Uh, all right. So first of all, video games were uh, a culture unto themselves, which was one of the reasons they were out of the mainstream. You know, Even though they are a bigger business now than Hollywood movies, they are not the business of the elite. So the elite wasn't paying attention to them. They thought they were for kids. They didn't realize that, that grownups were playing them. So when the feminists attacked and they fought back, Back, they actually took the mainstream media by surprise. And the mainstream media was completely taken off guard, and that's one of the reasons they could fight back. And also, you know, they are a bit of a nerdy subculture, and they just didn't want to take it, and they didn't take it. And if, if we, in the rest of the culture, did the same thing, we would win too, because these people are wrong, and it's easy to defeat them if you stand up and you're not afraid. Uncharted 4 is, I wasted so much of my life this weekend playing Uncharted 4. You know, it usually takes me months because I don't have any time to play video games. I'm half, more than halfway through it. Really, really a good game. Um, all right. Let's see here. I want, there's one, oh, um, from Matthew, he asked, will conservatism have to change to accommodate millennials? He says so many millennials have been taken in by socialism. Will conservatism has to change? Yes, conservatism Conservatism has to start changing right now, okay, because we have failed. The, the elevation of Donald Trump to the head of the Republican Party and the elevation of Hillary Clinton 
to follow up Barack Obama is a failure of conservatism to sell its case. And the reason for this is because we are not addressing the culture as it is. Too much conservatism is conservative in the bad sense. The wonderful thing about American conservatism is it is not European conservatism. European conservatism is trying to maintain a world that is no more, you know, a world of privilege, a world of class, a world of, uh, you know, of uh, bigotry, war, you know, royalty. We never were doing that here. Conservatism here is preserving tenets of freedom and individualism and uh, small and limited government. We can't have a small government anymore. The country's too big, but limited government. What has fallen apart is the consensus, the moral consensus that made that freedom more easy to maintain. Because if people are going to church, if people are saying married, if people are having children in wedlock, then it is easy to govern them with a light hand. When people start having children out of wedlock, when they start taking meth instead of going to church, when, you know, you know something like 40% of children are born out of wedlock now. It used to be 4%. And don't tell me that that doesn't matter because the, the problems that come along with single parenthood and with children being born out of wedlock are legion. They're unhappy. There's more suicide, more imprisonment, more crime. It is a genuine problem. So, so we have to address a culture that is fragmented. And you can't address a culture that is fragmented by shaking your fist and saying, go back to church. That's not what's going to happen. You know, what has happened is not the people who were religious are still religious. We haven't, we haven't gotten less religious. What's happened is the people who were just saying they were religious because the culture reinforced that, they've drifted away. They are now empowered and emboldened to say, I'm not religious anymore. If you want to sell those people religion, you have to sell them the joys of religion, not just, you know, go to church and, and don't cheat on your wife or don't sleep around. You know, we have to understand that people... <laughs> gay people are not going back into the closet. You know, that's not happening. People are going to be different things. They're going to have different ways of relating. Different. There's going to be an atomized culture for a long, long time. And conservatism has to address that. We cannot be anymore this one-size-fits-all conservatism. I'm not saying to give up your cultural mores. I'm not saying to give up your morals. I'm saying that you have to, if you're going to sell them, you have to live by them and sell them through joy, through the joy that you have in living the way you live. And, and conservatism itself as a political movement is going to have to become more libertarian. And I don't mean libertarian in that wonky, horrible way where all you do is sit around and talk about how marijuana should be legal. I mean libertarian in that it addresses an atomized culture, a culture that has uh, dissipated into intense individualism and isn't changing back anytime soon. And the guys who tell me that we can't survive that, you know, they may be right. They may be right. But giving up will ensure that they're right. Instead, we have to reshape and reform conservatism to address that atomized individualistic culture. I believe it can be done, but I don't believe it's going to be easy, and it may well fail, but it has to be tried. All right, I'm out of time again. Gosh, we should just do the entire like week of uh, mailbag stuff. Lots of stuff. Hey, thank you for all the people who wrote in and said that you had pre-ordered my book, The Great Good Thing, my memoir, The Great Good Thing, A Secular Jew Comes to Faith in Christ. I hope other people will pre-order it and take a look at it. I'm getting really nice reactions from people. I've been able to send out some um, you know, advanced readers copies and the people who are reading it are really liking it and I think you will like it so if you like the show so go out and pre-order it which is helpful to me. Stuff I like we've been doing John Le Carre here's one nobody knows about me, but me this is really really obscure. Before Le Carre became the great Cold War spy writer he wrote two mystery stories that were just mystery novels but they starred they had George Smiley, who later became the hero of his big trilogy, Tinker, Tailor, Soldier, Spy, and Smiley's People. And so he just wrote Smiley as kind of a detective. 
but they were complex, interesting mystery stories. One of them was called Call for the Dead, and it was made into a movie called Deadly Affair, which is a, it's, it's old, you know, it's, uh, I think it's from the 60s. It's directed by Sidney Lumet, a great director. He directed 12 Angry Men, Dog Day Afternoon, Network, uh, The Verdict. He was nominated for Academy Awards again and again. It starred James Mason as, the, I think he's the Smiley character, though I'm not sure they call him Smiley in it. It's a really, really tough, hard-boiled mystery story uh, that opens with them just doing a security check on a guy who used to be a communist in his youth, but he's now, you know, he's now seen the light, and they just go and check on him to make sure that he's secure and can be given a government job, and from that, everything just unravels, and it's a hard-boiled and mean and tough, and it's a really, really good movie, The Deadly Affair, based on Call for the Dead by John Le Carre. That's it. Well, folks, it looks like, you know, we it doesn't look like we're going to wake up from this. It doesn't look like, you know, that was, the other, that was the other thing in the Wall Street Journal. They said, you know, Donald Trump, the, the delegates may still revolt and throw Donald Trump out. And, you know, I'm thinking, here we are, you know, it's looking like it's looking like Donald and Hillary. So let's uh, let's try and be entertained and uh, rebuild in the, in the background as we go down this merry, merry path. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is the Andrew Clavin Show. We'll be back to seal off the week on Thursday, tomorrow. Be there. Thank you.